Okay, let's pray. Father, we are um, so grateful to be together. We're grateful to be your students. We're grateful to be um, just people who are constantly learning the depths of your truth and the depths of your love. And so I pray tonight, um, first of all, I pray that you will speak through me, that I'll say the right things, and I won't say things I'm not supposed to say, Lord. Just really direct my, uh, my teaching. And I just pray that as we are co-learners together, as we're students of, of you, Lord, that you will just teach us something tonight and that we will learn from each other uh, in our table discussion that we'll just um, be great um, co-learners um, as we just encourage each other, learn from each other. And um, Lord, teach us about the exile. Teach us what that means and what that continues to mean for us as people living in exile. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we are in the period of exile. In our acronym, remember creation, Abraham, Sinai, kingdom, or kings, exile. Next week we'll, we'll move into temple. But we're in exile. And if you noticed on your timeline, the symbol for exile, did you notice it's a vulture? The symbol for exile is a vulture, a bird of prey, okay? Because this is the period where we see the curses of the Mosaic Covenant poured out on the people because of their disobedience. It's the darkest time in Israel's history, but of course we know that there is always hope with the Lord. Our big idea for tonight, for every painful exile, there is a promised return. So exile is a major theme in the Bible. It's a thread that runs throughout the history um, of Israel and throughout the scripture. And there's a reason that both Paul and Peter in their New Testament letters to the church called believers sojourners, exiles, aliens, citizens of heaven. And that's because exile is the story of humanity. Exile is the story of humanity. So tonight we're going to look at the exile, the historical event that happened to the Israelites and how that plays a role in the overall redemptive story. And we're going to talk about how exile is all of humans, all of humanity's experience as a result of Adam and Eve's uh, sin and, and as a result of them being exiled from the garden. So I was listening to Bible Project, which, by the way, a lot of what I'm sharing with you tonight was inspired by them, and I got um, from their work, from their videos, from their podcasts. They have seven podcasts on the exile. So if you happen to have an extra seven hours, then I want to invite you to listen to those podcasts. They are absolutely amazing. Um, but as they were talking about exile, they talked about those pictures in the 90s in the mall. Do you remember the pictures that had the random colors? And if you stared at them a certain way, a hidden image would emerge. Okay? It's, it's the, that. Okay? If you stare at it long enough, this particular um, picture would show you mushrooms in a cave, okay? Now, it's one of those things, it takes a really long time to see it, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and that's what they talked about with the exile. Once you see this theme of exile running through scripture, you can't unsee it. You continue to see it over and over again. What, let's start with the definition. I'm sorry, can I, can I move the slide? I'll go back to it at the end if you need to, to have this challenge um, conquered. Um, I want to go to the definition of exile. Oh, here are the three areas of discussion tonight. Exile has been humanity's story since the garden. The exile of the Israelites to Babylon, we'll talk about that. The promise of return both in past redemptive history and in future redemptive history. And how do I live in light of exile? And so let's look at the definition of exile. The state of being barred from one's native country. 
You've lost your home. You can't go back. And there are many people today who are living in exile, and it is a very um, traumatizing experience, a lot of grief, a lot of loss. It's very disorienting. It's very jarring. Um, And that's the experience that comes with exile. So thinking about that definition, where in the Bible do we see God's people in exile? Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. They were not allowed to go back to their home, right? So this is interesting. So Adam and Eve left and went east, probably toward Babylon, probably somewhere in Babylon. And then we know that Abraham was called out of that area, right, to um, the promised land. And then, of course, any, anything, Egypt, very good. So we know that the story continues with Joseph being in Egypt and then a famine um, happening in the Promised Land and Jacob and the whole tribe going to Egypt uh, to be saved from the famine. But then what happened? They were enslaved and they couldn't go home. 400 years they were in Egypt until God sent Moses um, to lead them out of the promised land, I mean, out of Egypt into the promised land. They were in the wilderness also for a time. Um, And then, of course, what we're talking about tonight is the Babylonian, them being exiled into Babylonia. Um, So you can see where that theme is a thread um, throughout. And then we're going to talk also about us. We're not in our, our permanent home. So we are in a kind of exile, waiting for our permanent home. So tonight we're going to talk about the exile that saw the Israelites taken captive by Babylon, and they were there for 70 years, a whole generation of people in exile until God allowed them to return back home. Before we get too far into the lesson, I do want to start with a table discussion. Um, so if you will look there on your table discussion, and it's on the screen as well. So I want you to discuss this. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Uh, what does it feel like to be at home? Just talk about what does it feel like to be at home? What does that feel like? What does it feel like to be in a strange place? What does it feel like when you don't feel at home? How might it have felt to be an Israelite exiled to Babylon? And then, of course, if there's something that stood out to you, feel free to share that at your table. And if time allows, it's okay if time doesn't allow, but if time allows, pull out your timeline and go ahead and review the exile period on your timeline. So you will have 10 minutes, so we will, um, so 6.56, we will come back together. You thought I forgot the bell tonight, didn't you? Never. Okay. Um, So the closest, as I I began to reflect on the answers to these questions, the closest thing that I've ever felt to exile is when we moved to Ethiopia for two years as a family. My husband, myself, quit our jobs. I was working here, actually. I was in charge of the children's ministry at that time here. We, we sold our house. We gave most of our possessions away except for what would fit into um, like a 10 by 10 storage room. We pack, I'm not going to tell you how many boxes we took with us because I'm embarrassed about that now. But we took our boxes of possessions that we felt like we needed and got on an airplane with our three kids and flew to Ethiopia. And the minute that we got off the plane... Even the smells, it was just so foreign. Just, I mean, even the minute you walked out of the airport, it just, it, like, just the feeling of being in a foreign place just, like, hits you. The language, everyone's talking a different language, a language that we don't understand. Getting in your car, there aren't, like, the rules of the road are different. I mean, there's just, everything is navigated relationally. In Ethiopia. In other words, 
there aren't like traffic lights. You just all decide who's ne- who gets to go next, and you're just talking to each other. Like, oh, you have somewhere to be. Go ahead. It's so different. It is so different. And you know how um, there are hidden rules in a culture. There are things everyone knows except you, right? Like what would be a hidden, a hidden rule here in our culture? And, 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 and we would see them like maybe between different socioeconomic levels. Like there might be someone who doesn't know, oh, you're supposed to wear a collared shirt to something, right? Or like they don't know some of those rules. Well, there were rules. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Like there are things you just don't know. Um, so I had, I mean, guess what? We learned the hard way uh, around a lot of things. Like I remember um, I was working with a, um, some girls that were rescued from the street. They were living in this group home, and my job was to help develop them spiritually. And I, I took um, Uno cards because I thought that's a great game. You don't need language as much to do Uno. Well, I didn't, re- the girls were horrified because that remind that. Um, symbolize gambling to them. So here comes the Bible lady in with her Uno cards. Um, another time, I thought I found a place. I found a lady who could make ice cream. Like this was like a super big deal because they don't get that was not something they got to eat. So I walk into the Deborah house and I say, "I've got ice cream." Well, of course I'm expecting applause, you know, like, <gasps> and they just looked at me just like with blank stares, and then someone said, you're not even going to say hello to us? Because greetings, like you, like saying hello, how are you, how's your family? You know, you just have your greetings, those are so important in that culture. So my point is, like, feeling like you don't even know how life works, and everything is so much more difficult going to the grocery store. I mean, everything just takes so much effort that there were so many times that I felt like I just want to go back to the States to rest. I just want to be at home so that I don't have to work so hard for everything I do here. And so as I was thinking about like that experience, and I was thinking, well, we chose to go to Ethiopia in order to help forward God's mission in the global church by equipping church leaders and some of the other things um, to partner with organizations there. And then I thought, but the Israelites didn't choose to go to Babylon, did they? By their actions, they more or less chose. I mean, they were warned, right? If you don't turn away from idolatry and, and turn back to me, you will be sent into exile. So, yeah, kind of. The more I thought about that, I thought, well, kind of. Um, and the other thing about it I started thinking about is, was them living in exile for forwarding God's mission? Them living in exile did that forward God's mission, his redemptive mission for humanity. That's right. Right. You nailed it, both of you. Two things. First of all, this is the way God had to get their attention. It's the only way they would listen and turn back to him. If they had not done that, if they had integrated with the people... Uh, uh, in the promised land and not turned away from these false gods and from adopting the religious practices of the people around them. Redemptive story over. And then to your point, David, um, it was like a dispersion, sending them out amongst the nations. And that's a great example of people hearing about the God of Israel because they are dispersed into, into these other areas. So very good. What are some of the things that um, you talked about at your table um, around the idea of what it feels like to be at home? What does it feel like to be at home? What are some of the things that you guys mentioned? Safe. Peaceful. Peaceful. Relaxed. Relaxed. 
Those are great words. That's right, it's easy. You feel safe, you feel secure, you feel relaxed. Well, um, do you ever feel like you're not at home? Have you ever felt like maybe in a moment of loneliness or a, a moment that you don't feel like you belong somewhere, you don't fit in? If earth is our home, why is it that so often we just get this glimpse, this feeling that maybe, maybe this isn't our home, maybe this isn't where we belong? Um, the Bible Project called it an existential angst moment. You ever have an existential angst moment? And C.S. Lewis calls it the inconsolable longing. The inconsolable longing. Because one day we will truly be at home where we aren't feeling like something is missing. Where it's easy. Where we're secure. Where we're, where we're safe. Where we're experiencing peace. We're experiencing wholeness. The relationships will be right. We won't have the conflict relationally. Uh, we won't have the tension within ourselves. And of course, we know that we'll be living in communion with God. Uh, no more struggle, abundance, and peace. So I'm not in the place that I belong. Earth is not um, what it's supposed to be. This is, no, you go for it. Oh, I love it. Okay, let's, write, let's all write that, that verse down. That's perfect. Thank you, Michelle. We're made to live in God's love and in his presence and in a just and generous world. But because of sin, we are not experiencing that right now. So we're looking for belonging. People are looking for belonging. And that's what we have in Jesus. We belong to him. And we experience home in him. He's our home. Um, but, okay, let's move toward the actual historical event, the exile. Let's talk about that a little bit. So we, we've already mentioned that God has been warning the people. He's been warning the people of the consequences of their idolatry since they received the law. Levi uh, one uh, reference you can jot down, Leviticus 26, 14 to 39 is talking about this. From that all the way through to Jeremiah the Israelites have been properly warned that if they don't turn back to God, they will face the consequence of exile. Now, remember the northern kingdom. How many good kings did the northern kingdom have? Z zero. So they were conquered more quickly. The southern kingdom had how many good kings? Two and a half. We'll round up to three. Um, and so... It, was, it took a little, they, they were given a little more time um, to repent. But the Israelites can't resist idolatry. They, they were not able to resist idolatry. Um, one of your readings this week was Ezekiel 20. I just wanted to talk about that for a minute. So in Ezekiel 20, Ezekiel is retelling the history of Israel the way that God does often throughout the scriptures. And he's retelling the history to them, highlighting um, four events, four periods. And, he, and, you, and, he, and, he, and you're, you're seeing ingratitude, idolatry, abominations. Of course, we're reminded of God's amazing love and grace towards them, which they haven't appreciated. And we see this pattern happening, okay? Here are the four areas that we see this pattern happening Israel and Egypt is the first time. The first generation after the Exodus. The second generation after the Exodus. And the years in the land before the exile. So those are the four periods. And here's the pattern of what we see. First, Yahweh declares some gracious intention or he does some significant action. For example, he rescues them from slavery. He rescues them from Egypt. The second thing that happens is the Israelites rebel. So God does some significant gracious thing. The Israelites rebel. For example, they worship and give credit to a golden calf instead of to God who rescued them. The third thing is God declares his anger. And the fourth thing that happens is God 
withholds judgment for the sake of his own name. In all of those times, this happens except for in the fourth area, which is them living in the land pre-exile. The four, God doesn't withhold judgment for the sake of his own name. Okay? So they're finally, he's, he's basically, Ezekiel is unpacking the fact that time has come, no more time, the axe is dropping, you're going into exile. And God would have been justified in exterminating the Israelites in any of those four situations, but he showed them mercy because he's merciful, because of his name, the sake of his name, and also for the sake of the redemptive plan, okay? Um, by the way, just to, re- just to um, remind us, Jer- the prophets during the period of exile, Jeremiah, who's in Jerusalem, Ezekiel, who is in Babylon in captivity and exile, Daniel. So Ezekiel and Daniel are in Babylon, Jeremiah... Um, yeah, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. So Babylon defeats them, and there's three waves of deportation. So the first wave is 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem and takes some of the Israelites. Now, basically, he takes leaders, nobility, the brightest, the brightest and best he takes. And that includes Daniel. That includes Daniel. And that's the Babylon way. That's the Babylon way. They destroy a country's next generation. They take them, they indoctrinate them, change their name, secularize them. We're going to look at Daniel 1 a little bit later. Um, But this is interesting. I wish we had more time to talk about this, and I wish I'd had more time to study this. But there's a lot of really interesting commentary on Babylon representing humanism. You know, making a name for yourself, for yourself. He, uh, the definition, well, I think I wrote the definition of that somewhere. I'll get to it in a little bit. Um, but starting at the Tower of Babel, remember they're building this tower. They're going to reach heaven on their own to make a name for themselves. All the way through to Babylon. And then even today in our culture, right? We see that. So there's the spirit of Babylon um, it's really interesting. So, yeah, you might say that we're living in Babylon in exile. We want to, people want to do their own way. They want to be their own God. They want to decide their own standards of right and wrong. We want to make up our own standards of right and wrong um, instead of following God's. Okay, so that was the first deportation. The second in 597 B.C., more captives including Ezekiel. Okay, so let's talk a moment about Ezekiel. What did you learn about Ezekiel this week? Well, more than what Ezekiel does. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I was hoping someone would talk about Ezekiel bread. <laughs> did you know there is a bread made from a verse in Ezekiel? <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so funny. Okay, there's a bread made after him. Anything else you guys learned about Ezekiel? What do you know about Ezekiel? He went with the hostages to Babylon. Yes, he went to Babylon. Say that again. Lots of visions. God gave him so many visions. What about Ezekiel 1? Was that not just so interesting to read the description of this vision that God gave him when he was, it was on his 30th birthday, He's down by this river. Some say like it's maybe the Euphrates. And God comes to him in a vision. And this vision is like these cherubim, this like platform, the glory of God on top. And it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a Godmobile, you know. And it's, it, they, we see it later in Ezekiel as well. But yes, so many visions that God gave to Ezekiel. So interesting. Such an interesting book. By the way, I didn't read enough of this book. It's so long, but this was a great commentary, The Message of Ezekiel. This is the Bible Speaks Today commentary series, and I enjoyed it very much, the part that I was able to to read. Anything else about Ezekiel? He saw God leave the temple. temple. In Ezekiel 8, um, God 
gave him a vision, took him to the temple, and he saw the idolatry happening in the temple. And then in Ezekiel 10, he saw the glory of God, the presence of God left the temple. And remember last week, Barry talked about how there was so much false security that the Israelites had. They didn't think that God would do this because of his presence. And he left the temple. Yeah, the cherubim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Um, anything else about Ezekiel? He was trained as a priest. He was born into a priestly family. So he was trained in temple duties. Um, I thought it was interesting that the year he was born is the year King Josiah found the law. So being... Um, in a priestly family, he would have, that was kind of a, like a, um, you know, Josiah, King Josiah was like turning back to the law and kind of reestablishing these practices. And so he would have probably witnessed that. So he would have known a, a lot more about the law, being born into a priestly family when the law was discovered. So he was born into a priestly family at the age of 30 when that vision came to him. The age of 30 is when he would have been Uh, moving into his priestly duties. So instead of becoming a priest, he's in captivity in Babylon. So, yeah. There's some hope for us in that story, Tim. Sometime I'm sure when he was taken into captivity, he felt his life force was gone. That's right. Because there was no temple. And yet God called him to be a very significant person in, in captivity. That's right. That's right. That's beautiful. Thank you, Brian. You're absolutely right. He was going to have a very significant job. Yeah. Yeah, in the in the resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and um and as yeah, and also that reminds me Ezekiel seeing God's presence in Babylon. In Ezekiel 1, like he's with us here in Babylon. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank y'all both so much. Anything else about Ezekiel before we move on? So God calls him to be a prophet. He was supposed to be a priest. Priest, God calls him to be a prophet. And he shows him a few things. Um, The sin and abomination of the Israelites and how that's brought punishment, the punishment of the exile upon them. God's presence leaving the temple because of their idolatry, but also the, the hope of a new king and a new heart in the future. So God always gives us that hope, right? Okay, so then... The third deportation, in 586, Jerusalem is destroyed. God leaves the temple. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. Israel is no longer a nation. And this is when the exile officially begins. That's when the rest of the people were taken. Um, And I do think it's very encouraging and inspiring that both Ezekiel and Daniel, even though they're living around this, these pagan influences, they really do stay faithful to God um, and following him. Okay, go back to my, to my bottom line slide here, if I can find it. Let's look at that again. For every painful exile there is a promised return. Let's talk about the promised return. Let's start talking about the hope um, that we see even during the exile. So Israel is at its lowest point. 
God's left the temple. The temple's destroyed. They're in captivity. Is the redemptive story over? Is humanity's story over? No. God, for the sake of his name, gives them hope. In Ezekiel 36 and 37, he gives the people a vision for a new covenant. A new covenant is coming. And um, you might write this reference down. You can read about, we're going to look at it in Ezekiel 36, but you could also look later on in Jeremiah 30 to 31 as well. You can read a lot about it. Um, So let's turn our attention toward this promised return to this new covenant, to this hope. So we're going to go into another table discussion. Um, Let me find it here. Okay, so you'll see on your table uh, Ezekiel 36, 22 to 38. So everybody take a copy of this. And I want you to to, uh, read this together as a table And then each of you underline the I will statements. Okay, so have someone read this. Underline the I will statements. And you may even want to make a list as a table. And then answer the question as a table, why will he do these things? Okay, any questions? All right, we'll give you 10. Let me see what time it is. Give you 10 minutes um, to do that. So 731, we'll, we'll come back together. Okay, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We need a new way of being human. Humanity at this time in the story isn't capable of keeping the covenant, right? So we need a new way. We need to be empowered by a new source. We need a new heart. We need a new covenant. So what did you talk about at your tables? What were some of those? Okay, great. What, is, what are your favorite I will statements? That's great. Yeah, very good. Oh, can you say it louder? (laughs) I'm sorry. We have a handheld. It's okay. No worries, John. We have a handheld microphone, but if you want to say it a little louder, that's good. I couldn't repeat all that, or I would repeat it in in here. (laughs) A new heart. Talking about a new heart. I like a salvation message. Yeah, in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, very good. And that cleaning comes from outside. So they dirty themselves. Mm. They can't clean themselves. They dirtied themselves. They can't clean themselves. It's on the you said it's it's on the outside. Well, their behavior. From, it, the cleaning comes from God. Not, right, not from, not from us. That's right. The cleaning comes from God. It start. It's it's an internal thing, an internal transformation. For me, it's the very last one. Okay. I I will do as I say. Because God will do as he says. Right. Who he is. And it's almost like, right, a, a, a foot stomp, right? Like, I will do as I say. Yeah. Right. Very good. Yeah, that's right. We can count on him to do what he says. Very good. Okay, excellent. We'll talk a little bit more about, um, about those I will statements. But question, why will God do this? Did you identify that in the, in the passage? To protect his holy name. To show how holy and great his name is. Absolutely. They will know that I am the Lord. That is repeated a lot through the book of Ezekiel. God wants to be known. 
And God wanting his name to be known is missional, right? He's pursuing humanity, and he's trying to save humanity. He wants humanity to know him, to know his love, and he, want, he wants to have a relationship with humanity. So this is very missional. And the point for the redemptive story is that all the nations of the earth know God through the Israelite nation. And they're failing in their mission. They can't do it. Um, Their mission is to show the other nations who God is. And now the scripture says that they're doing even worse than the people around them. So they're failing. I want to read this quote from this book that I mentioned earlier. It says, All God's dealings with Israel were not only open to the gaze of contemporary nations, but were ultimately undertaken with all the rest of the nations in mind. The scope of God's universal purpose, the goal of his universal mission included all the nations, not just Israel. The election, redemption, and history of Israel were all part of the mission of Yahweh to the nations of the world. The mission by which ultimately, according to a key element in the theology of Ezekiel, the nations would know that I am Yahweh. Hence, God's passionate concern for the honor of his name among Israel is all of a piece with his universal concern for the honor of his name among all humanity. To speak of the name in this context is to say that Israel exists not for itself, but to fulfill the divine purpose in history. And by the way, God's presence is what makes the nation of Israel distinct, and they knew that. If you'll recall what Moses said in Exodus 33, 15 to 16, Exodus 33, 15 to 16, Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on earth. So they knew that God's presence with them is what set them apart. And if they're no longer honoring him, worshiping him, set apart, making his name known as a distinct people um, that worship him, that are his worshipers, then what part? They have no part then in the redemptive story. Um, so let's just, well, so now I want us to think about the fact that we are living in the new covenant. Okay, the Ezekiel 36, we're living on the other side of the work of Christ. So we are living in the new covenant. These promises have been fulfilled. Okay, so it says he made us clean. Or he says, I will make you clean. We have been made clean. Um, and we know from the Levitical system that God set up that, the, that purity is important. Right? The, the whole clean, unclean, all of the ritualistic ceremonial washing was like a symbol of, of, of a time when we would be made clean. We understand how important purity is to a holy God through that system that he established. And so in Christ, our sins are washed away. We're clean. We're made clean. We're cleansed by his blood, by his atoning death. We're no longer guilty. We're innocent. And our record is clean. So our sin has been dealt with. We are now clean before the Lord. He gave us a new heart, which the heart kind of refers to like our will, our thinking, our decisions. And so we go from this hard heart, this stubborn heart. And I just, it's, that's one of my favorite I will statements I'll say is just thinking about how he takes a hardened heart. When someone comes to, to know Jesus, he takes that hardened heart and he makes it soft, and he makes it gentle. Of course, it's a process, right? Um, But I love that so much. We become more tender and more compassionate. There's an ancient saying, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Without Christ, we want our own way, right? We want to make our own rules, but guess what? Our, our own rules don't work. We make these rules because we think they'll make us happy, but we're really only happy when we're living in union with him 
and when we are living according to his way. Okay, he gave us a new spirit, and that's kind of referring um, to the emotions. So we think differently with our heart, and we feel differently with our spirit. He put his spirit in us, and that right there is the game changer for humanity. Now, remember in the Old Testament, the language was um, like the prepositions, I guess, were like the spirit came upon people. This language is different. It says that God's spirit will be in us. And that's where we get our power. That's where we, where we live in connection with God. Um, by the way, also, I think that's the most amazing thing about believers is that we're all indwelt by his spirit. And that's kind of our connection with each other. So how often is it that God like tells you, hey, reach out to that person. They need encouragement. And, and you know, you'll get this encouragement from somebody. They, don't even, they wouldn't even know that you needed that right at that moment. But it's the Spirit of God that connects us and, and that we encourage each other through that. So um, if I learned anything through my experience last semester with my whole health thing that I went through is that so many times when I was just in a real place of fear, and discouragement, someone would text me, and they would text me verses, and I loved it so much because I, in my journal, every verse that someone texted me, I journaled through it, and um, the like the Lord's Spirit and so many people, um, just He prompted them, and they obeyed, and they encouraged me, and I got to experience just the beauty of the church and the beauty of believers with the same spirit in us. So anyway, um, it's really cool, very cool. So when we place our faith in Christ, we're made new. We have a new heart, a new spirit, and there's an internal transformation that begins and that we begin to experience. And um, that internal, that inner transformation is what eventually like spills out right? The more work we do inner, um, the more our, that we live our inner life with Jesus, the more that we reflect him to the world. And that's where discipleship shows up, okay? So um, that's our work as a disciple, is to grow our inner life, to grow our connection with God. And as we do that, we start reflecting the character of Jesus. And that's when we become kinder, more compassionate, we become more like him. We begin choosing um, things that he would choose that are in alignment with, with him, his character, his will. And I like the way that Dallas Willard describes this, being a disciple of Jesus. He says, um, I live my life the way Jesus would live my life if he were living my life. I'm going to say that again. I, lo I love it so much. Though. I live my life the way Jesus would live my life if he were living my life. So it's great to kind of ask yourself the hard questions like, am I growing as a kingdom citizen? Am I growing into a more Jesus kind of human? Am I living more in union with him? Am I living as if the kingdom is now? You know, that, that was the greatest theme that Jesus talked about when he was on earth. He talked about the kingdom, this new this new period that we were entering into that where the kingdom would be on earth. So we are living in the kingdom. You know, we're not living in our final home, but we are living in the kingdom. So asking ourselves, how am I living in the kingdom now? You know, we're still in a fallen world. We still, we still have like, uh, you know, the fallenness around us. We still have evil influences. We still have our flesh that we're battling. Um, and that's why we have to be intentional about working, doing that inner work. So this is kind of, this is just what I do. And um, I've been growing a lot the last couple of years. And actually Dave and Deanne introduced me to some, to a ministry. And it's really helped me grow more in my inner life. Um, but this is how I tell how I'm doing. These are just some of the questions I ask myself. I just challenge you to think about asking yourself these questions too. I'll say, am I experiencing more joy and peace? Am I more grateful? 
Am I sweeter in my responses? I use the word sweeter because, I don't know, I just like the way that sounds. Like, am I sweeter in my responses? Am I less defensive? Am I less critical? When I start getting critical, that's, I know that I'm going backwards in my inner life. Am I less judgmental? Am I more positive? Am I more hopeful? Am I living relationally? I'm not going to talk too much about this because we don't have time to, but like, am I staying open and connected to people? Or am I pushing them away and not staying connected relationally to people? That's, that's a big one. Am I staying relational? Um, you know, you will meet people who have trusted Christ, but when, they don't, when you don't do the inner work, that's when you could meet a Christian that's mean. You ever met a Christian that's mean? And that's just the inner work, the transformation. Um, is, is The sanctification is slow, right? So we want to work with God. We want to be working. We want to be growing as disciples. Um, so that's the work that the Spirit wants to do in us. And, of course, we cooperate, cooperate with that work. Um, now, Jeremiah and Daniel also talked about a time when a new king would come. And, of course, we know that king is Jesus. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant. And from King David's line, he will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And we know, of course, that that is Jesus. And um, so that was fulfilled as well. Now, because of Jesus, thinking about, um, let's go back to the garden to Adam and Eve, they've, they've been exiled out of the garden. Um, so go back to that, but think in light of now, now in the new covenant. So what has been, um, like what's been restored since that time? Let's think about living in the new covenant. What has been dealt with because of the work of Christ? Our relationship with God. We are reconciled to God through the work of Christ. We mentioned that we're made clean. Our record is clean. What else do you think of? What's been dealt with because of the work of Christ? We just read about our new heart, new spirit. We're no longer a slave to sin. What... Yeah, we have that personal relationship. We can abide with him, live life in union with him. Our identity is in him. What about what are we still waiting on? What are we still waiting on? The place. Like, what did you say I didn't hear? Did anybody say anything? Oh, our new, thank you. We're waiting for our resurrected bodies, right? We're waiting for that, and, when, and we're waiting for the place. Um, I thought this was so interesting because the Bible Project said that we are exiles of time. Have you ever heard that before? They said we're immigrant exiles. So we're waiting for the place, right? We're kind of in this waiting. Um, That was so fascinating to me. Um, The land... We're waiting for the land. So there was a promise to take them back to the land. And remember last week, Christine talked about a dual fulfillment where a prophecy, there's, in some prophecies, there's a shorter fulfillment, but then there's a longer fulfillment. And this is one of those. So they were, um, they did get to return back to the land, but we're not yet in our permanent home, right? So, um, So we're still waiting for home. We're still on that redemptive journey to home. Okay, want to end with this. We're not going to have time to do our last table discussion, but the table discussion would have been looking at, so as we live as exiles here waiting for our home, how do we do that? 
So Daniel 1, um, you can read this later, and you probably read it in your pre-work, but looking at how did Daniel make himself distinctive from his culture while also serving his surrounding culture, and how might we do that the the same way in our culture? So that is such a complicated and confusing thing sometimes, right? Like how do we live in this culture of Babylon that we're in, reflecting God, loving others, um, so you could take a few different um, paths, right? Like the Israelites, they could have been rebellious and they could have like wanted to rebel and fight against Babylon. Or they could have kind of hidden, like, like lay low and just wait. But that's not what God said through Jeremiah. God told them, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So they're actually supposed to have a peace ethic. Um, I'm going to send you guys that podcast, one of the podcasts from Bible Project. It's actually called, um, let's see what I put it's called. I think, oh, it's called The Ethic of an Exile. The ethic, and it talks about this peace exile, and it brings in some other scripture in the New Testament. One in particular where the, the Pharisees try to trick Jesus and ask him if they should pay taxes, and he, he has the coin, and he says, who's on the coin? And he says, give Caesar what is his. And it's kind of referring to the image, it's talking about the image of Caesar on the coin, and that we're the image of God. So we're to give God ourselves. So anyway, it's very fascinating. Um, I want, I'll send you that so you can think about that. But yeah, think about and pray about how do I live faithfully as a redeemed person, fully loved by God in a culture that's not my home. I'm going to end with a video. This is a video from Bible Project. Um, you know what? I'm not going to end with a video. I'm going to send you the video. You can watch the video at home, okay? But I want you to watch the video because it's really good and it talks about this. How do we live as exiles? Um, so I'll end with the bottom line and then I'll, I'll re-announce our big art project in case anybody has any questions. So for every painful exile, there is a promised return. This was the bottom line for the Israelites. And this is the bottom line for us as well. For every painful exile, there's a promised return. Every time we experience the pain of living in a fallen world or the pain of not quite being home, never forget we have a promised return. Okay. Thank you guys so much. And I'm going to turn the record.